Welcome to Healthcare Perspectives, a podcast by Siemens Healthineers about medical breakthroughs with the power to improve lives everywhere. Typically, lung cancer is found in the later stages, stage three or stage four, when it's already spread outside of the lungs and to other parts of your body. And at that point, it's very hard to cure it, although the medications are getting better. Whereas if you find it when it's small, and it's still confined to a small part of your lung, you can treat it. We showed that you can be cured 80% to 95% of the time. You've just heard Dr. Claudia Henschke, a radiologist and professor of radiology at Mount Sinai's Icon School of Medicine in New York City. She's explaining why early detection is so important when it comes to treatment of lung cancer. In this episode, Dr. Victoria Schneider, clinical oncology consultant at Siemens Health and Ears, is joined by Dr. Henschke, as well as Dr. Richard Booten, clinical director for lung cancer and thoracic surgery at Withenshaw Hospital and professor of respiratory medicine at the University of Manchester, Rima Kondrashova, a radiology resident at Hanover Medical School in Germany, and Dr. David Jinkalovitz, a radiologist, professor of radiology, and Dr. Henschke's colleague at the Icahn School of Medicine. Hello, I'm Victoria Schneider. Lung cancer has the highest mortality rate of all cancers and some of the lowest five-year survival rates. Globally, it is the deadliest cancer among men and women. One of the biggest contributing factors to lung cancer's devastation is that it often goes undetected in its early stages. Because the lungs don't have pain receptors and the chest cavity allows a relatively spacious growing environment for tumors, symptoms typically don't manifest until the disease has progressed significantly. It's for these reasons that screening higher-risk patients for lung cancer is so important as early detection provides the best chance of survival from the disease. Today, you hear from leading experts about the importance of early detection, the programs that have been recently rolled out to increase survival rates, and some of the exciting new advancements in the field. You get on the scanner, It takes you one breath hold. You say, take a breath in and then breathe out. The images are obtained. You don't get any injection. It's just getting on the table and sliding through the CT scanner very fast. That was Mount Sinai's Claudia Henschke describing the typical patient experience at a lung cancer screening. By using a computerized tomography scan, otherwise known as a CT or CAT scan, Radiologists are able to obtain diagnostic information about a patient in a completely painless and non-invasive setting. According to radiologist David Jankelewicz, even though lung cancer screening is a simple and nauseous process, it can still prove incredibly difficult to get patients into the office for testing. It's the number one cancer killer in the United States and the world, both for men and women. And yet, here we have a test that can lead to early diagnosis with cure 80 to 90% of the time. Why aren't people lining up around the block to come and get this test? For radiologists like Claudia Henschke and David Jankelewitz, this is particularly hard to grasp because the US has a national program that offers screenings for patients at risk. 
Similar programs are implemented in other countries, including Japan, the UK, South Korea and Croatia. So I think that's the main message because there's the feeling that, oh, if I get a diagnosis of lung cancer, I'm going to die because the death rates are so high. That's because it's very late, it's much bigger. But when you find it early, the treatment is really terrific for that. If I find a cancer that's a grain of rice compared to a grapefruit when it's usually found. So the difference between treating somebody with a grain of rice or a pea compared to a grapefruit is very, very different. When you find it when it's small, the cure rates are high. If you find it when it's big, it's like 10 or 15 percent. In the UK, lung cancer and thoracic surgery specialist Richard Booten has seen firsthand just what a difference early screenings can make in the detection of quickly growing tumors. I mean, if, so if you think about why does a lung cancer cause symptoms, one is the constitutional effects of having that cancer. So people lose their appetite, they lose a bit of weight, they feel quite tired. Those are quite challenging symptoms for both patients and healthcare professionals. A lot of patients will put it down to other life stresses, other diseases perhaps that they're known to have. People don't flag themselves in. This delayed onset of acute symptoms is perhaps one of the most dangerous features of the disease. Most of the symptoms come from larger tumors impacting on other structures or from people where the cancer has already spread, either locally advanced or spread to other organs. And that's why the, the symptoms are associated with later stage disease rather than early stage. Conversely, if a tumor is found early on before it greatly progresses in size, a surgeon is often able to excise the growth with extreme precision, depending on the localization and other factors. The way I've heard the surgeons describe it is the best treatment is still steel. They cut it out. When we find these cancers at five millimeters or six millimeters, you're talking about curing them 95% of the time. It's extraordinary. It's just a spectacular result. And, and that's what people really need to focus on. You really can cure these. And advances in surgical technique have only improved the process of eradicating a smaller tumor, making it even less invasive and more succinct. We're no longer having to open up the chest with big incision. Now they're doing uniportal treatments, one hole. And now they're even talking about doing that without general anesthesia. The patient will basically be out of the hospital the next day with minimal side effects, minimal pain. It's a very wonderful progression that we're seeing on the surgical side, even the anesthesia side, and of course the radiation therapy side as well. They're doing single radiation treatments for some cases. Just go in, you, get, you lie on the table, you're wide awake, they give you one dose, and that's it. You're done. And for those concerned about the effects of radiation that CT scans may produce, those amounts are negligible, according to Claudia Henschke. It's a low-dose CT scan. It's the same as a breast study, a mammogram that you get once a year. And the doses are coming down. So in the future, as the CT scanners get better, the dose will continue to go down. And there have been lots of studies. People have had mammograms for 30, 40 years, and there's been no ill effect. For my guest today, the positive impact of targeted lung screening is undisputed. Still, the challenge remains to improve access to screenings and encourage as many at-risk people as possible to sign up. 
for Richard Putin, some of the major changes he's seeing come from the recent establishment of government-run programs that help spread the word and provide funding for screenings. There is a large cohort of people who do think, I have no intention of stopping smoking, my family died early, I don't expect to live beyond 60, so just what is the point? So there is quite a lot of nihilism out there, and that's where national public health initiatives, advertising campaigns, local media are important. But I think equally, establishing a local program, a regional program, that is demonstrating benefit is also very powerful. What we're starting to see is that the early adopters who got diagnosed with lung cancer are now going back to their local communities, interacting with family and friends. With these sorts of programs in place, the UK has already seen a significant shift in the timing of lung cancer diagnosis in just the last seven to eight years. We're able to try and shift the diagnosis of lung cancer from predominantly a late-stage presentation to an early-stage presentation. Every region of the UK is, is grappling with how we implement that at scale. But I think to date, the national program, probably in the region of two and a half to 3,000 cases diagnosed through that program. And we're seeing that around about 80% of those are at stage one and two, rather than stage three and four. The main factor on the success of government-aided screening programs, however, may just be their ability to reach patients at risk from all communities. The important thing, I think, from what we've done is recognizing the importance of this work with funding. And what we need to avoid is inequity across a region, across a country. You know, everybody who's eligible should be able to access it effectively. And I think these high-level acknowledgements and drivers meeting an unmet need as part of your healthcare system are, are really important. That then filters down to the regions, the organizations responsible for cancer services, and then ultimately feeds down to the providers, such as cardiothoracic centers like mine, where we now have to respond positively to make sure we can implement. And that, of course, is as much to do with how the funding flows from central government. While some countries like the US and UK already have targeted lung screening programs in place, many others like Germany are currently on the verge of starting their own programs. At Hannover Medical School in Germany, third-year radiology resident Rima Kondrashova is working as a research associate for the Handel study, a program designed to assess what a successful national lung cancer screening program might look like for Germany. The Handel study is being conducted in northern Germany and involves evaluating former and current smokers aged 55 to 79 years old for their lung cancer risk. It also focuses on a portion of the population that might otherwise be unaware of their risks. Many people at risk may lack knowledge about lung cancer screening and its potential benefits. One of the main challenges is addressing their hard-to-reach population which includes women, socially deprived people and ethnic minorities. Also, limited access to healthcare facilities or geographical distance may hinder individuals from getting screened. Our goal is to ensure that at-risk groups have access to high-quality lung cancer screening. In fact, the program has already scanned more than 5,000 individuals at risk for lung cancer. And the Hanse study doesn't just screen for lung cancer. There are a number of other lung ailments that can be detected by the scans. 
We also look at the big three, which includes coronary atherosclerosis, lung diseases such as emphysema and fibrosis, and in addition to lung cancer, other types of cancer that could be incidentally found on the CT scans. More recently, the Hanse study has partnered with Solace, a program co-funded by the European Union that aims to develop, test and disseminate tools to create an individualized approach for lung cancer screenings on national or regional levels. This spring, a great European Solace project has been started to identify and enroll specific populations that are currently underrepresented. Together with more than 10 other programs across Europe, the Hanse Solace study is also a part of this project. In the Hanse Solace, we not only personally visit healthcare practices in areas with a high proportion of socially deprived people, but we also go to supermarkets, kiosks or fuel stations where cigarettes can be bought, providing clear information about the benefits of lung cancer screening. To address the topic of limited access and geographical distance, screening centers may use a drug-based CT scanner, as we successfully did in the Hanse study for all three centers in northern Germany. Based on the Hanse study, says Rima Kondrashova, one of the major keys to a successful lung cancer screening program revolves around patient engagement. For a successful screening program in Germany, based on the experience of the Hanse study, we need to set up a quality assured program. In addition to personalized recruitment and web-based registration, it's important to coach the general practitioners and pneumologists who provide information about the screening to the patients and to ensure that the low-dose CTs are carried out adequately. We also need a uniform AI-based software tool to assist the radiologists when they read the low-dose CTs. The positive cases should be presented through the specialized lung cancer centers. For those working on the Hanse study, the conclusion is foregone. Targeting high-risk populations allows for more efficient use of screening resources and increases the probability of detecting cancer at an early, treatable stage, so that individuals can receive treatments in time, what would lead to better outcomes. In Manchester, one of the most crucial keys to overcoming the geographic and economic disparities of patients has been the implementation of mobile screening clinics. The barriers are largely around being able to access a service. Is it always going to a local hospital? Car parking, problematic, not easy to get to. Travel is an issue. These are deprived populations. They don't have cars often of their own, so they're relying on public transport, maybe two, three different buses, so they're not relying on taxis. People do find it scary to go to hospitals and clinical environments. So there's lots of known barriers. The possibilities for decentralized or mobile screenings might vary from country to country based on local regulations, but findings suggest that when screenings are taken out of the hospital and put directly into neighborhoods, patients are far more likely to participate. The mobile clinic was designed to be closer to home. We cite them at football stadia, the community car park, the sort of hubs of local communities so that people can access it as they go about their daily business. And the clinic setup is very much to see a specialist nurse to be assessed. And if at risk of the disease, based on that assessment, we offer an immediate ultra low dose CT scan. By combining a patient's risk assessment and scan, the mobile clinic creates a far more reliable screening funnel for those at risk of lung cancer. Maybe ring a patient and run through a risk assessment. 
and then say you need to go somewhere for that CT scan on a separate occasion, there's about a 15% drop-off rate, which is really disappointing. You know, you've got people who are at risk. You've told them they're at risk of a disease. And by sending them into hospitals or making it two-step, you're making it harder for people to engage in the screening program and ultimately probably failing to diagnose their early-stage lung cancer. For Richard Booten, there's no doubt that community-based screening is a hugely important strategy to get more patients screened for disease before they start experiencing late-stage symptoms. Ultimately, screening is about getting bums on seats. It's about getting as many people through as possible. I'm a proponent of community-based screening, whether it needs to be done on the back of a mobile vehicle or can be done in a fixed site in that community setting. Community setting certainly seems to be the important thing that works for us. With the use of new and emerging technology that can ensure more timely and precise diagnosis and treatment plans, a lung cancer diagnosis, especially an early one, needn't be taken as a death sentence. In New York, David Jankelewicz explains how artificial intelligence, or AI, is having a big impact on improving early diagnosis. The diagnosis of lung cancer through screening means that you're finding it before it's symptomatic, so it requires imaging. And in this case, the imaging is, is CAT scans, but CAT scans just keep getting better and better. The AI impact probably starts with what it can do with the CAT scan images. And we can make so many improvements in the quality of the CAT scan images. The image quality is what allows us to see the lung nodules, which is how lung cancer manifests on a CT scan. So we have to find these small lung nodules And in order to do that, the better the picture, the easier it is to see them and the smaller it is you can see them. With AI, the image resolution of the scans can be greatly improved and in turn, increase the ability to detect the minuscule nodules. This process of reading these scans, however, can prove incredibly tedious and challenging for radiologists. When you think of looking at a CAT scan and you're trying to find nodules that are just a few millimeters in diameter, And a CAT scan presents itself as slices, just like you slice a loaf of bread, you slice the human body. So by the time you finish looking at the chest, you have maybe a thousand images or 500 images to look at. That's a lot of images to go through to find a couple of tiny nodules. It's really difficult for the radiologists to do this. To help remove some of the tedium and difficulty from this sort of task, Claudia Henschke, David Jankelewicz and other healthcare professionals at Mount Sinai have started what they've named the AIRS project. The AIRS project is really the automated image reading system. So what we're hoping to do is not on the first scan, but screening is important to come back year after year after year. And so we think that if we have that first scan, which is checked by a radiologist, then the next scan, if there's no change, The radiologist doesn't have to look at it. So that's what we're using AI for to say, is there a change or isn't there? This has the potential and it's going to take a while to really develop and test. And we need a very large database to do this. But this is really the paradigm shift in imaging. I think it's going to open the doors to many other examples. It's just a very exciting project. And we really think it will be wonderful for the radiologists. With advances like these, 
AI opens up a whole world of possibility on a global scale when it comes to effectively reading scans and diagnosing patients. What we're sort of working towards is getting screening set up around the world. Sites are starting to approach us now, the Middle East, Eastern Europe, South America, wanting to get started screening. And we're eager to help. And we are in the process of starting setting up this global implementation, which allows us to share our resources. And we do that. We offer them a management system and we can offer these things really for free. Just like our AIRS project, our automated detection is going to be made freely available. It's going to be an open source product. We think of AI as a great equalizer. It's going to allow countries that have manpower shortages to be able to get interpretations that are at the highest quality. And for David Jankelewicz, the application of AI and its seemingly endless potential makes the future of radiology incredibly exciting. There are so many aspects where AI and technology are going to change everything, literally from the production of the image to the finding of the nodules to the interpretation as to whether the nodules are benign or malignant, how to manage the patient, how to generate the report, how to make sure the doctor gets the report, how to schedule the patients. AI is going to impact on, on every aspect of this, and it's a very exciting time. Our guests today have shared many exciting developments in the field of lung cancer screenings. More and more countries are looking into implementing government-funded screenings. Artificial intelligence has the potential to lessen the workload burden on radiologists. And new community outreach has already proved helpful in getting more at-risk people to sign up for screening. In the end, though, the most important thing is a focus on the best way in which the healthcare system can serve patients to live longer, healthier lives. At the end of the day, this is entirely about patients and less so about institutions and self. It's absolutely about getting the right people to the right treatment at the right time for the right care. I think that's what most of my team is, is absolutely motivated to try and do within the confines of all those difficulties of how do I find the money? How do I build the space to, for which we work? How do we make sure it's filled with the right equipment? But ultimately, just a very simple thing. How do I make sure people get access to whatever it is we've got? You've been listening to Healthcare Perspectives, a podcast by Siemens Healthineers. We pioneer breakthroughs in healthcare for everyone, everywhere, sustainably. Subscribe to us and always get the latest episode in your podcast feed. Or visit siemens-healthineers.com slash podcast for more. The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Siemens Healthineers. The statements by Siemens Healthineers customers in this podcast are based on results that were achieved in the customer's unique setting. Because there is no typical hospital or laboratory and many variables exist, e.g. hospital size, samples mix, case mix, level of IT and or automation adoption, there can be no guarantee that other customers will achieve the same results. This podcast describes possible future ideas and concepts. It is not intended to describe specific performance and or safety characteristics of currently planned or future products. Future realization and availability cannot be guaranteed.